This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Humane. My name is David Jakobovich, and I will be your host throughout this series. Together, we will explore AI through fireside conversations with industry experts. From business executives and AI researchers to leaders who advance AI for all, Humane is the channel to release new AI products, to learn about industry trends, and to bridge the gap between humans and machines in the fourth industrial revolution. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Welcome back, listeners, to the Humane Podcast. Today, our guest speaker is Jacob Kachmaz, who's the founder of Veracity Protocol. I had the opportunity to meet Jacob digitally within this past month through a few mutual connections involved with startups and business between New York City and Taiwan. In fact, the ecosystem between New York and Taiwan is thriving. There are a lot of events happening with the consulate, as well as ecosystems building cross-border innovation with both inward investment and foreign direct investment. So super excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome, Jacob. Thank you. Good to be here, David. Yeah, I'm really excited about the product you're working on. Myself, being someone in the data science and AI space, I'm always looking at new research and new technology. And as we've discussed offline, that the Veracity Protocol, which you're working on, is this new security standard for physical objects using AI and other technologies. So let us know for the listeners, what are you up to? Definitely, we'd love to. So at the Veracity, we basically developed algorithm based on computer vision and artificial intelligence, which basically enables any camera, be it smartphone camera or industrial camera, to be able to analyze any object's physical structure and create something what we call tamper-proof physical code. This basically really works on the basic idea that any physical object itself is unique. It has its own unique material structure, same as a human fingerprint. 
which is immutable. You cannot really replicate it down to the level of microns. And also mass-produced items leave a certain signature of how they were manufactured, the, the material used, the sewing, the printing technique. All these factors, again, creates a unique signature, which is something we can, we can pick up on. And we are doing this and using this physical code then to basically solve the issues of authenticity, of manipulation, to help detect any anomalies or tampering and to really protect human lives and brands and, and national security and allow for a fully automized, digitized, tokenized, you know, feature world and industry 4.0. So this would be in in nutshell what we are focusing on. So this is so cool because when we think about identity, whether it's in real life identity or digital identity, it's very challenging to track, to verify, to authenticate what is real and what is fake. I just recently watched an expose on the Wall Street Journal. One of their tech briefings was talking about a company in Japan that works with knives. And basically what they said is if you want one of these really sharp knives, you're going to get your identity stamped into the knife as a QR code that's laser etched. And I found that so fascinating because otherwise, how do you know who it belongs to or is it even authentic from the manufacturer? So it sounds like this is a problem and you're talking about use cases around identity and authenticity. Why is this a problem we're experiencing today? This is a good question. I think we see like with the upcoming era of blockchain, a lot of companies using blockchain as something to track provenance, for example. By my point of view, that's Another duplication of how we are using, like, for example, physical certificates of authenticity. Even blockchain itself, as a very cool technology of decentralized database, cannot really secure what is essential, which is the way how you connect the physical object itself to any digital entry, be it a database or blockchain. How do you create this secure connection? Most of the time, you are relying on a unique ID, an RFID code, QR code, uh, you know, NFC chips, things like that, even, even covered things like invisible inks, DNA markers, diamond dust, other things like, uh, like that. And all these are uh, security elements which you need to embed, which can be tempered with, you know, change, can be deattached, or, and you require most of the time some hardware to work with them or special skills. But really, the idea here is to work with the physical object itself. The way how it is, how it was produced, leaves enough fingerprints, enough ways of connect the object itself to the digital ledger through its unique material structure. You cannot really replicate a sheet of paper down to each fiber the same way. So that's basically a solution to this issue, which then allows you to truly tokenize physical objects, to, to work with them, to assure veracity, a truthfulness of all the data connected to those objects as they go down the supply chain to allow for really transparency in the supply chain, for reliable track and trace, even decentralized escrow with physical objects. You know, when you when you buy something and once you verify it's original, it, it, 
it uh, executes the smart contract. So this is a key technology to not only solve issues of today, like the counterfeiting and, and uh, transparency, but also of tomorrow to enable the optimized industry. It's so fascinating that you mentioned all these technologies being used today, RFID, QR codes, NFC chips, invisible inks, diamond dust. You know, it gets me thinking about the show on HBO that's been all the rage in the past year, uh, His Dark Materials. And they talk about all objects, whether we're thinking of the real world or an HBO having a track or having some system or dust or material. So it seems that there is this trace, there's this thing that can be tracked and you're working on that, but you didn't just get started on it today uh, while you're working in Taiwan, but in fact, uh, you went through an accelerator in New York City, and that's the Techstars Accelerator, which if we're in New York, we know Techstars is one of the leading accelerators to take startups from idea to execution. I want to hear about how your experience was in Techstars. Definitely. That was one of the best and toughest experiences of my life, to be honest. It was three months, a lot of sweat and blood. <laughs> and uh, really the best 6% of equity we ever invested. And it, since, you know, our background, originally we were starting in the space of art and collectibles. We were before building a company to exchange artworks. And one of the issues we came across really was the, the counterfeiting. And we saw how all these technologies are not really solving the issues. And we were thinking there has to be more simple way. And it was like the beginning of the, the process three years ago when we started developing the technology and, and the, uh, the algorithm and creating the data sets and getting everything moving. And Techstars was really a milestone which through their process like pushed us to literally get our stuff together <laughs> and, and really uh, be precise about like how we want to use this technology, how, what market we want to target and get everything together. So that's been really amazing. I cannot recommend it enough. And as you're you're taking all that success as you've pivoted and grown from Techstars in New York, now as split or, or focus between New York and Taiwan, I think that presents a lot of opportunity and interesting notes. I was mentioning at the start of our episode that New York has a strong ecosystem with Taiwan. In fact, there's a venture called Anchor Taiwan that that builds you know partnerships with supply chain and and hardware and, and startups all across border. And so now you know you're splitting your time between New York and Taiwan. What was the reason to scale the venture across the globe? <laughs> so. We originally started from Czech Republic, right, from middle of Europe, going to New York, where so far till this day we have most clients, most engagements, and really has been a, the best place for us to be. Another thing I can't recommend enough. Taiwan, honestly, the reason I'm here is also that my wife is Taiwanese. That's first of all. Second of all, and combining this with also the, the business opportunities, because one of the verticals we are focusing on is semiconductors. And obviously in that area, Taiwan is the place where you want to be. Because I don't know if you know everyone knows it, but really Taiwan is the place where most of the semiconductor is produced. And uh, that's why also it's so strategically important globally. That's excellent. And I, I think one of the companies that if listeners did not know semiconductors were produced in Taiwan, if you say the company Foxconn, 
Traditionally, thoughts are China, but it couldn't be farther from the truth. Foxconn has a huge, or perhaps their biggest presence in Taiwan. That's correct. Yeah, and also uh, TSMC would be another major big one, and there are several others. Yeah, Taiwan is a leader in the industry. And it sounds that that has given you the spark to grow and scale, evolving from, as you mentioned, focusing on the art and collectibles industry now into security for physical objects, primarily in semiconductors and manufacturing. I think this is such an interesting use case, at least in the states.、Uh, we think often about. A lot of intellectual property and tech transfer, and a lot of conversations have been around what's been in the news the last few months, and that's focused on one of the top four, if not even the number one, global cell phone manufacturer in the world, Huawei. Huawei out of China, and you know Huawei is a great company. They're building 5G signal networks in. The European Union and Britain, they're building smartphones used throughout South America and Africa. They're even creating laptops and technology to bridge the gap in emerging frontier and developed markets. But it seems, whether truth or rumor, that there has been a lot in the news about Huawei and these microchips and the, let's call them the veracity or, or the traceability. Of how secure some of these networks are, and I'm bringing this story to light because you've mentioned about the focus around semiconductors, and I want to know what has inspired that shift or transformation into a semiconductor focus. Has it any of it been from the Huawei story? Has it been from you know the growth of IoT and and 5G and everything is a smart device now as we're gaining acceleration in 2020? What's some of that inspiration? So there's several angles to this. One of them is we obviously we're not focusing on semiconductor. We're、uh, there's two other areas:、uh, collectibles, sport memorabilia, that's a big one, luxury goods, and、uh, also security documents like IDs and passports. The overarching theme is really like、uh, objects or items of a high value or high security threat. Like for example, if you take a, a server motherboard, it's very easy in the supply chain to introduce、uh, fake components to it, which creates a lot of issues regarding the life expectancy. But also, it's possible to introduce hidden chips, which can provide root access, for example, to to the server the motherboard is installed with. So there's like security issues of software. Angle and hardware angle. The software angle you can always fix, right? But the hardware angle is unfixable until you actually replace and fix fix that thing physically. And it's some area really where this we are coming from. In order to to have tight, secure, transparent supply chain, you want to trace every component、uh, all the way when they are assembled to motherboards. Be able to. To trace those motherboards as well, to verify the authenticity of the components and also of the motherboards, to have a way how to then trace if anything happens, where actually these components and the motherboard comes from, and what what happens, who were the parties, you know, touching it, and also have the ability with a simple scan to see if it has been tampered with, if、uh, you know some. Integrated circuitry has been replaced or、uh, moved, and there's a chip hiding underneath. 
The cost of planting tiny spy chips is just $200. It's been a great article on Wired about it. So this is the angle we are, we are coming from. It's fascinating that, as you mentioned, there's multiple verticals you're looking at. Although one of them is semiconductors, uh, you mentioned as well, Jacob, about collectibles and sports memorabilia and luxury goods. And one of those use cases that comes to my mind might have been the early works of Veracity Protocol, which is about art exchange and art networks. We think of a Rothko painting or a Pablo Picasso painting that you would see in Tate Modern or in MoMA or in the Whitney. And when you see these different artworks, you often wonder, are they authentic? Are they real? And the reason this comes to mind for me is there's been a lot in the news about fake paintings and the trade market and you know creating all these uh, lithographs and and extra copies. And and you often wonder whether it's art for an investment or art for pleasure, are you getting the real thing? And today the solution doesn't seem that clear. You know, with art, it's what you might have, as you mentioned, some RFID tags, uh, QR codes, but there's a lot of ways to forge and mimic and, and redevelop these or plant these. So it sounds like, if I'm understanding correctly, that this is a perfect trap in the market for a solution like yours. Yes, uh, our position was never to have the role of saying this is authentic and this is this is not. Our position is to provide you with a technology where you can protect that painting and we can always guarantee this is that painting which has been protected, you know, there and, and that time. We won't be able to tell you this is the original Rothko. That's that's up to a person who's protecting. For some reason, you maybe want to even protect the fake. That's really not our position, you know, to judge this. This really brings you the ability to be sure, for example, when, you know, expensive painting is being sent for exhibition, comes back, it is easy to swap it with a perfect copy and to make that copy in, in Chinese market. What's impossible is to replicate it really down to a level of details more than 100 microns, which we already can pick up with just a smartphone. And so you would just take a smartphone picture and know immediately if this is really that original item or not. But to be honest, we are not really focusing on art sector anymore. Our focus is much more on the sectors where we can actually bring value uh, by really, you know, saving lives or improving security or do a lot of uh, improvements or setting foundations for, for future work. The art world is a market which is very resistant to innovation, to changes. A lot of people want to keep the status quo there. And that's not really a market where, you know, we would like to grow company and, and innovate. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think with the art market, there's been so much occurring, especially with outsourcing and development of paintings. You know, there's been stories about how one city in China makes over 60% of the world's paintings today uh, <laughs> and how what that was focused on in the last 10 years is now a vastly declining market, perhaps for the reason of authenticity or protection. And as you're speaking of these use cases, Jacob, I think there's so much we can think of. We can think of Louis Vuitton bags, Rolex watches, these Picasso Rothko paintings, but even 
manufacturing cases, like you mentioned, maybe a USB lightning port, something that you would charge your phone with that you buy on Amazon or Alibaba or AliExpress. I don't know about you, but for me, I have gotten so many fake products from Amazon. It is mind-blowing. Just in the last few weeks, Amazon started a new process where they email people who purchase products on Amazon if they were fake and if the FDA and FTC are investigating claims on fake products. You never used to think this was something that was real, but today on Amazon, I got three of those emails on food goods, you know, consumer food grade foods like protein powders and supplements that I bought back in 2016 and 2017 that now I've been told they're fake. I mean, who knows what could have happened to me? I could have been sent to a hospital or or even worse. So I feel like this fake product system is an evolving marketplace that's not just impacting Amazon, but also Alibaba. And it's tough as a consumer to know what's real and what's fake, especially when reviews can't even be trusted on these platforms. There was a a research finding recently that said between TripAdvisor, Yelp, and Amazon in the U.S., almost 80% of these reviews are fake or paid for. So it is impossible to know what you're buying if it's genuine unless you're physically going into a store in Manhattan or a major city or you get the manufacturer to sign off that it's real. So I want to hear your take. Uh, Are there certain products that you think are going to be good use cases even for consumers with Veracity Protocol? I think that's a very good question and good point. There's so much to unpack here. Just starting with the motivation of the marketplaces, right? Amazon is a huge marketplace. It's not really motivated to crack down on um, counterfeits because that would be most of their revenue, probably. And there's culture factors, like, you know, you would be thinking Amazon would be more motivated, but actually Alibaba is because Chinese audience is more status-oriented. They more care about having the actual authentic thing. If they are afraid, you know, their friends saying, oh, it's actually fake, that would hurt their social status. Another very good question is like where actually this authentication should happen, right? The example you mentioned, <laughs> that's very scary. And I know that feeling when once I bought a, a screen monitor and then I got a call from police that it was stolen. And that's definitely not the way forward. I don't even believe you should be doing the authentication as the customer. I believe that should be the role of the marketplace, protecting you and doing this authentication for you. And right now we see many marketplaces like that, the Real Real, Gold, StockX and others, where authentication is really their business model. And I believe these will really start cut market share of Amazon and grow by really providing an environment where you can trust that someone actually physically authenticated the things you are about to buy. And then really the question is like, would you like to buy directly from the producer? Would you like a marketplace which authenticates it? Or do you want to have your own way to authenticate it's the original? Some companies uh, we work with, they see the use case of typical, like, you know, in critical hardware, which is uh, critical in a way like, let's say, hardware wallets, store of cryptocurrencies, which are, there's counterfeits made in China, and you don't really have a way of uh, telling, you know, if this is the original or not, or if it hasn't been tempered or not. 
that would be definitely a use case where, where we would then, then help. But personally, I would much rather engage the level higher and bring the, this technology to marketplaces, to work with brands, to work with manufacturers, and to be able to totally mitigate this and, and solve this issue. I believe it's possible. It makes sense to focus on the marketplace. You know, if I think back over the last 10 years, most of the purchases I used to do were directly from brands. You know, in the past, I purchased, uh, you know, Nike shoes directly from Nike. But today I might purchase Nike shoes from Amazon. And one wonders, are those new Nike Vaporfly shoes going to be real or are they counterfeits for the 2020 Olympic Games? <laughs> I think the same happens if I purchase an item that I think was real from a platform like eBay or Amazon, where I think I purchased an authentic Hermes belt. And I believe the H belt is so authentic. I go to the Hermes store on Madison in New York City. I say, oh, I like to have this refurbished. And they tell me, no, it's not real. It's not authentic. And I say, how do you know this? It looks real. It matches the photo on the website. It has the same engravings of the number of your SKU and your model. How do you know it's not real? You don't give the consumer the benefit of the doubt. And there's no way to even verify or have the veracity on that. So I think there is a lot of he said, she said going on there in the world of authentic and verified goods. Yeah. And it sounds like, as you mentioned, Jacob, we see today some platforms like The Real Real and StockX, which are beginning to help alleviate these problems by building new marketplaces that verify the goods. Where do you think StockX and The Real Real have been successful to date, and where do you think there's room for improvement for perhaps Veracity Protocol to partner with platforms like them? So before I answer that question, one very good point is, you know, this is an era of when we start having deep fakes in video and audio. It's just kind of a subject, right, going on. The same thing happens with physical objects. You have super fakes. It's really impossible, even by a naked eye, to distinguish the details. You really need to deploy trained neural nets and computer vision to really be able to go down and recognize the difference between the fake and origin. It's the same, it's the same automation we see elsewhere, like in healthcare, you know, to, to recognize cancer cells. And it always gets much, much bigger, better accuracy and precision than, than a human eye. And coming back to your question, this is exactly the area where then these marketplaces, they have to rely again on physical manual verification. Instead, we would offer them a way to build data sets to automize this and to be able to scale without the need of relying on manual labor uh, and all this experience, which then you know fades as people get out of the company or uh, sometimes is not even enough. And really through automation and, and uh, AI, increase the accuracy of the process and be able to scale it. That makes sense because today you have gemologists and leading experts with jewelry who could look very fine under microscopes to say this is authentic or this is not authentic for diamonds and products like that. But the challenge, as you just mentioned, Jacob, is then the individuals exit or they get retired from a company as they age and then that knowledge goes with them. It fades. And so this begs the question, 
on how can we evolve from a manual process to an automated process? And you know, thinking about Veracity Protocol and these unique fingerprints that are being manufactured in all types of physical goods, something struck with me that you shared earlier in our conversation. I used to think that, oh, I need a super high-resolution camera without you know, a massive Sony Nikon Canon camera that costs thousands of dollars. There is no way I am going to be able to do effective computer vision or effective photography that can see deep within these photos. But what you've shared with me offline is that that cannot be further from the truth. Perhaps the cameras we have today can see in-depth detail. How in-depth is that detail that we can see from our smartphone cameras like the iPhone 11 Pro, the Samsung Galaxy S10, the Huawei P30 Pro, the Google Pixel 4, and so forth? So to give you a comparison of like what's the level of detail we can work with with just a smartphone with basically a 12 megapixel camera going all the way back to, to iPhone 5, I think, is that we can really recognize a sheet of white paper against each other. You can take a you can buy like five postcards. You can with a smartphone app protect one. Let's say you know, this is my valuable original, and you would see that you would always recognize the original and reject all the other postcard postcards you would ever present in in front of the camera. So there's a level of detail we can work with, and with uh, use cases where you need more detail, like let's say smaller uh, semiconductor components, you of course go deeper, use higher resolution. And now we would be talking more about specialized hardware or automized manufacturing or assembly line where you know you have the camera installed and this is done automatically. It is absolutely incredible to think that the iPhone 5 from 2013 has the technology capable of understanding the difference between two white postcards at this 100 microns or smaller level. So in fact, if I understand correctly, everyone in the world, most likely, right, um, has, has a smartphone capable of recognizing something that the human eye cannot be trained on. And I think that's incredible. And But one of the challenges as well is that, so the hardware is finally catching up. We have seen that it's been around since 2013, but now basically every consumer in the world has a smartphone that can look at photos at a 100 microns level or smaller to detect these anomalies and tampering at the different angles and materials that you're building at Veracity Protocol. And the software is only catching up to the hardware now with new algorithms and packages like PyTorch. But one of the biggest challenges that I see present in the machine learning world is data and how to get real data and synthetic data. How did you explore the data problem for the work you've been doing? Definitely. So let me just start by saying, you mentioned a very good point. Everyone in their pockets already have a device which we can empower with, with our algorithm. This is something uh, of a breakthrough on our side as well, that the ability to design an algorithm which can work really through very, with various lenses, various cameras, in various conditions, light, even when the item gets damaged, you know, you have wear and tear or clothing stretches and, and stuff like that. The idea is really you can take your phone, snap a picture, know immediately, good or bad. All this is truly based 
not only a lack of building this computer vision algorithm, but also the data sets and the data. And all this data we had to acquire by ourselves. There's no data sets or databases of, you know, camera lenses and material structures and different type of objects. So this is something we've been building for over three years with our own extensive um, data sets. And the, the first data set ever created was really me painting a canvas white and painting another canvas red and basically like <laughs> dissecting it into hundreds of, of small pieces <laughs> and taking picture of it to really create a, the first data to, to run tests on and to see if the, you know, the hypothesis holds. Moving beyond the canvas, so segueing back to manufacturing and material of products, another interesting arena that's grown a lot in the last few years has been 3D printing. I have a good friend in New York who has their own 3D printer, and we've made a lot of cool items there using different CAD models online. And I wonder how unique is the structure and the materials of items? Can a 3D printer replicate or can a 3D printer's print be identified? It's a good question. So every object the 3D printer prints will be different. Its structure will always be different. It just depends how how deep you need to look, how much resolution you need. What's cool about the 3D printing actually is, uh, and which links to artists in general, that imagine in the moment of 3D printing an object, you can already protect it. You can always know this one belongs to me. Not only based on the CAD design or the 3D printer you are using, but actually based on the object structure, which you will never be able to recreate on the 3D printer. So that's good to know that uh, no one anytime soon will be printing uh, forgery on 3D printers. It should hopefully be more a hobbyist activity for fun at home. But as we've learned, the identities and the data that drives our digital first society today is anything but real and anything but certain. You know, there was recently a big movie out on Netflix called The Big Hack, all about how you can change hardware, how you can change software. And that was very much focused on the 2016 election in the United States. And we thought that was gone and done, that what was uncovered was about potentially if there was interference and and all these topics that have been so focused on in the news, we thought it was only 2016. But thinking back to just February 2020, what we've seen is that the Iowa caucus in the U.S. for voting with the Democratic candidates was mired in issues around their software company named Shadow, of all things, as well as the hardware and integrations and mobile apps and and testing to see about verifiability of voting and these digital certificates. It's amazing to think that we are only just now uncovering the surface of what's possible in verifying and validating data, such as what you're doing at Veracity Protocol. But I know all news sounds bad, but it's not necessary that's the case. It's just what's trendy at the moment. But thinking about global trends and the movement in the industry, 
there's a lot of good things happening. And it sounds like what you're doing of Veracity Protocol is only just the beginning. What's new in the pipeline? Are there any new products, releases, announcements that are, are coming out? So one of the one of the big ones, obviously, is uh, right now at the RSA conference presenting a solution together with Intel of securing the transparent supply chain for the critical hardware like server motherboards, showing the solution how we are able to fingerprint individual components, the server motherboards, to be able to allow anyone down the supply chain to verify is this the authentic motherboard, what's actually is its history, is all these components authentic, has something been replaced, swapped, has this motherboard been manipulated, is there a spy chip <laughs> lurking behind one of the integrated circuitry. So uh, this is a solution we've just unveiled and we are very excited about as this really presents the cutting edge of uh, what our technology can do. And that's not the only thing. Another area of our interest is really working with uh, big manufacturing companies and companies in supply chains to really build the industry 4.0 with automized factories where components and final products are tokenized and everything is settled on blockchain as it moves down through the supply chain, through individual parties in, in the process. That's definitely something extremely interesting. You may think like, why not use just a QR code or ID or barcode there? And I was actually asking this question as well to one of those companies. And they just believe, you know, it's not enough. It's not so secure solution enough as it can be very easily copied or manipulated with. So this is an area of more long-term interest and something they really believe our technology can enable. It's amazing to think that at the RSA conference, um, you're presenting this new solution with Intel. And as you mentioned, you're enabling secure hardware. And for our listeners on the Humane podcast, one thing that may not be common knowledge is that Intel powers the chips of most of the computers in the world and most of the Apple iPhones in the world. Who would think that Intel was such a big player in the space for uh, power from processing and that they're also looking at security? I mean, what are some of the trends that you, you think are going to emerge from the conference or emerge further out in 2020 with security? From point where I'm standing, I think the security is definitely moving more into the physical world and getting much more attention there because thanks to the democratization of technology these times, you know, 3D printing, the, the availability of chips and stuff you can already do after a few tutorials on YouTube is really amazing. And this brings further pressure on to create uh, barriers of entry to, to bad actors in the supply chains, right? Which you really need to counter with more advanced technology. So that's definitely something we see, not only concerning counterfeits, but exactly as you said, concerning like server motherboards, which are running uh, critical government or uh, defense servers, for example, or your, your smartphone. So that's definitely the, the trend we see. 
The final trend that we don't know just yet, but there's been a lot of talk lately from all the major reports and trend uh, setters about what is the next device we're moving into. We know that uh, the internet has spawned the emergence of portable workstations like laptops, as well as iPads and smartphones and all these mobile devices. But I've been seeing a lot of research lately about smart glasses. Even Amazon came out with their own new one to compete with Google Glass 2.0, all about having laser uh, prints of data etched on our eyes or in these contact lenses. So I wonder if that'll be the next smart device. Any take on which device you think will be more helpful to, to do some of this verifiability in the future? Do you think maybe smart glasses could be that device? I think that's an interesting view, definitely. What, what I see regarding the trends is really everything moving into the cloud. With upcoming 5G, everything will be instant, instantaneous, right? The verification done with a smartphone with our technology will be will be instant. You don't really need to carry much hardware, hard disk, all this processing power and stuff. If you can rely really just on the 5G and good coverage of that, that would bring a lot of gadgets and devices to further easily, uh, how to say, embed you <laughs> as a person to be able to wear them. It will be glasses, it will be... Uh, Right, airports without uh, iPhone. It will be just uh, screens, not really uh, computers, and uh, which only continues the trend of really enhancing ourselves. Right now, you know, it's items we put on the table, we hold in the hands. Then it's wearables. Then it will move into your skull, and that's definitely the direction where it's going. I'm looking forward to that world, whether we're called enhanced humans, whether we're embedded people with these personalized experiences. It sounds like we're continuing to move into a world where it's humans and machines, and that's only going to continue to be defined in 2020. It's great to hear everything you're working on at Veracity. And Jacob, thanks so much for joining us on the Humane Podcast. That was exciting. Thank you, David. Hey, humans. Thanks for listening to this episode of Humane. My name is David Jakobovich, and if you like Humane, remember to click subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Luminary. Thanks for tuning in and join us for our next episode. New releases are every Tuesday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.